This morning's reading is taken from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Welcome, or welcome back. It's very good to see you, and there is a sense of St. Michael's coming out of hibernation after the summer. It's lovely to see familiar faces and new ones. My name is Rupert. I'm the vicar here. As I welcome you, I ought to say hello to people online, too. It's good that you're joining us. Would you like to pray with me that God would have something for each of us this morning? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. And just as we prayed for the children who went out, we pray for us who stay in, that you'd have good things for us. Open our eyes and open our hearts and speak to us, we pray. And when we hear you speak, we pray we'd say, yes, Lord, come and help me as I speak to lift you up. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'm starting a little mini sermon series, and it's all about telling others about Jesus. And this is the roadmap of where we're going over the next three weeks. Today, why dare to? Next week, how to prepare to? And the third week, God's there too. How the Holy Spirit helps us. And the moment I say that I'm going to be talking about how to tell others about Jesus, I wonder how you feel about it. And, um, of course, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but it would be quite interesting if I said that um, we imagined a scale, an axis, running across the front of this church and say on that wall, but if you seriously don't want to hear three talks about talking to others about Jesus because it makes you feel incredibly uncomfortable and you've heard all sorts of talks about this before, so you'd stand right against this wall. If you are mega keen and enthusiastic and it's something you do every day of the year and you think it's time that St. Michael's woke up and got on with it, you'd stand against that wall. And if you were somewhere in between, just up for it, okay, sort of, you'd stand in the middle. And I wonder where you'd position yourself. And the thing is, I don't expect that there are many amongst us or many even watching online who, if you're a follower of Jesus, you think it's a bad idea to talk to others about him. 
Because, after all, if you're a friend of anyone's, if you're a friend of mine, and why would you be ashamed or shy of talking about me any more than I would be ashamed or shy of talking about you? I'd want to do that. I'd want to big you up. I'd, I'd want to express what a great person you are, etc., etc. So I think, theoretically, we're all up for it. We're all in the game. But here's the catch, or at least where it catches in your throat and my throat. So if I ask, so how's it going? Here's something we all agree with, but how's it actually going in terms of talking to others about Jesus? Um, which wall would you be nearer to? Now, I think in this series of talks, I'm bound to slip into using a word, the word evangelism. So I just want to explain that there is a word which has a specific meaning about telling others about Jesus, and it is the word evangelism. That it, it comes from a Greek word, euangelion, which is a technical word, means God's good news. Not any old good news, but God's good news. The gospel comes from the same root word. And when we share Jesus, when we share the gospel, we are sharing, it is good news, because we're sharing about what God has done for us. We're sharing about his son that we can know personally. And I could talk, and will do, no doubt, over many, many uh, weeks about some different aspects of Jesus in our lives, the gospel. But basically, when you talk to others about Jesus, and I do, we are good news spreaders. But here's the thing. Even though we know theoretically it's something we should be doing, even though we know it's something we are sent to doing, it's, it's very easy to slip away from doing it. A, a, a few years ago, a book came out called We Need to Talk About Kevin. And in a way, this talk is We Need to Talk About Jesus. And many of us will be thinking, oh no, must we? There was a man called Bill Hybels who about um, 40 years ago planted a church just outside Chicago. And uh, Right in the DNA of his church from the founding moment was his wish that his church should be open to outsiders and should be effective at communicating to people how they could follow Christ. And for many, many years, they were very, very effective at it. And they grew from literally a sheet of paper with no one just that hopes into a church of over a thousand people. And after about um, 10 years or so, they, did, they had an audit done of their congregation. And Pastor Bill explained that he was shocked by the results because the results showed that actually they'd plateaued, they'd gone static on this business of sharing Christ with people who didn't know him. And he was shocked because he thought, surely this is right one of our core values, surely um, we're good at this. But he discovered in practice he'd stopped doing it. And I want to, in, in these talks to try and help us to get over the hump of not doing it and to remind us how to do it and the confidence we should do it. But I want to begin in an unusual place, which is to say talking to others about Jesus is not easy. I've sat through lots of talks about telling others and normally, or most usually, the person at the front shares endless stories of how they can't help it. They've only got to get out of bed in the morning and they lead the next five people they meet into the kingdom of God. And they have remarkable stories of how this happens. And, and I, I'm not saying it's not true for them, but I am saying when they talk like that, 
it drives me away because I, it's not my reality. And when I look at scriptures, I have to tell you, as I'm going to now, that for Paul, it wasn't his reality either. He found this jolly hard work and he, he found it incredibly challenging. And one of the reasons that we're reluctant to do it, have often stopped doing it, is so simple. It's much easier not to talk about Jesus than it is to talk about Jesus. It's as simple as that. So much easier to keep quiet than to talk up. And I wonder if you notice that very telling phrase in our short little reading, where Paul says, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. When we hold back from talking about him, it's not irrational. It's not silly. It's not without reason. One of the reasons we find it difficult to talk about Jesus is because the name of Jesus and the whole concept attracts opposition. And I'm sure there have been times in your life, like I have in mine, where you've had a fleeting opportunity, but you just prefer to keep your lips sealed because you fear the opposition. And it's not exactly the same grade of opposition that Paul had. Um, It might just be as simple as someone cold-shouldering you or looking at you as your weirdo and avoiding you for the next few weeks. But it is opposition. And Paul says he dared. It took daring. It took courage. He had to make a decision he was going to do it. So I'm just flagging, it wasn't easy for Paul any more than it was easy for us. Second reason I think we often avoid this or can do or sidestep it is we're not quite sure how to go about it anyway, even if we had the opportunity. And I'll be talking about that next week, so I'm not going to talk about it now. And the third reason is there's a spiritual battle over this. When we are intentional prayerful and hopeful of sharing Jesus with other people. Something goes on in the heavenly places. It's contested space. There is spiritual warfare over this. So what I'm hoping and praying is that as I give these talks, we press the reset button, each of us, and we approach this topic afresh. And the rest of this talk is focused on why why would we dare talk about Jesus? What's going to motivate us? And I've got a number of ideas to share with you. And the first is this. Well, we want to talk about Jesus because he's the best news in the world. And it wouldn't be right not to talk about him. I think there's, without question, the most significant conversation that I've ever had in my life was with someone who shared their faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that conversation, my life took a completely different turn and God became a reality to me. And it wouldn't be right, now I know him, just to sit on that, would it? There's a a very interesting picture of this in the Old Testament, tucked away in the book of Two Kings, in chapter 7, for those who like to know where to find it. And it's a story told of four men with leprosy. And they're starving to death. And their own people, Jewish people, won't let them into their company because they have leprosy, so they're kept at arm's length. And the Jewish people are fighting against the Arameans. And the story is told of these four friends, and they make a a life and death decision. They say, well, look, if we do nothing, we're going to starve to death anyway. So why don't we take a risk and walk ourselves into the Aramean camp and see if they won't have pity on us? 
And as they walk into the Aramean camp, they discover something extraordinarily unexpected. God has visited the Arameans, Israel's enemy, with a panic. And they've all fled. And they've left their tents. And in their tents, they've left their silver, their gold, their riches, and any amount of food. And so the four uh, lepers get to work and they start pillaging, really, all the goods that they get. They start hoarding the silver and the gold and they start gorging on all the food. Uh, I have a kind of mental picture of Rupert locked into a supermarket overnight, you know, that kind of thing. And they're just going crazy with enjoyment. And then one of them turns to the other. It's, in fact, they all turn to each other. It says in 2 Kings 7 verse 9, they said to each other, what we're doing isn't right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. And surely that's actually true for us. If we live in the day of good news and we've received it, it just simply wouldn't be right to sit on this. We have to tell others because they're not born knowing. And you can't be born again without knowing about Jesus. I quite like the similarity there is between Christianity and literacy. It depends on one generation telling another. Otherwise, you lose it. And, you know, when these children that we've just sent out, when they go to school, a huge amount of time is invested in teaching them how to read and write because you're not born knowing. And, and not to be trained in that, they would be set back. And you're not born knowing about Jesus. And if you're denied a knowledge of Jesus, ignorance is not bliss. There's not much point in us banging on to each other about how unchristian our country has become if the solution lies with us in talking to others about Christ, and we don't. I guess this is a point I find very easy to take on board because I didn't grow up in a Christian family. And sure, I grew up in, in this country. I went to a school which was notionally Christian. And I did know about Christmas. I, I don't know how you can not know about Christmas. You know, I knew because of Christmas trees and turkeys. But as you know, that's not really the gospel. But I did realize there was a baby in a manger and all of that. But I knew nothing about Easter. Because Easter always came in the Easter holidays. I had no idea about the cross or what it was about or why Jesus died. And I simply share that to say, you know, you're not born knowing. You, you, you can't buy into what you don't know. Faith comes by hearing, says the scriptures, and you can't believe in someone you've never heard of. So it's quite simple. Who's going to tell people? Quite often that we have amongst our congregation ambassadors from different countries. And we are ambassadors for Christ. And even an ambassador representing a country said that he or she didn't want to actually be known to be connected to that country, or if they denied that they were from that country they're meant to be representing, they're not really ambassadors at all, are they? And there must be days that they don't feel like being an ambassador, but they always are ambassadors. And thus it is for us. You know, we have the best news of the world in our pockets, in our hearts. It's made for sharing. There's a dark side, though, to our motivation as well, at least a more difficult side to express, and it's tempting to leave it out, but it wouldn't be the gospel if I did leave it out. 
And that is the price of not hearing. It's not just the joy of connecting with Jesus. It's the price of not connecting with Jesus. Jesus says he came to seek and save the lost. And the more I think about that, and the more you think about it, it's a very unflattering picture. But life without God is a lost life. You're disconnected from eternal life, from life to the full. And we're told Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That is, lost. And have you ever seen a lost sheep? They look even more clueless than not lost sheep. And they look vulnerable. The price of not sharing is very high, isn't it? Salvation is at the heart of why Jesus came. And it's easy to forget this. And I'll tell you why it's easy to forget this. Because when you meet with your friends, and when I meet with my friends, when you go out for lunch or supper and you spend time with them, maybe you go on holiday with them, they look so content. Because they are content. They don't, for the most part, I imagine, look maladjusted, frustrated, disorganized people. Because they're not. Well, no more than you and I are. And many of them actually look more together, more prosperous, more confident, more self-assured than you might actually feel. And their lives are like your life. They're busy and their diaries look full. And one of the reasons that we don't talk about God or even want to talk about him is because their lives look so complete without him. Isn't that right? And so, so we just fail, fail to even want to open our mouths. But if we could see into their heart like Jesus could see, if we could see the future like Jesus could see, if we could see their spiritual state as Jesus could see it, they'd be like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. Some years ago, I got an invitation from an elderly couple uh, to go and have supper with them. And um, I really liked them. I, well, I knew him much better than her. And uh, as we sat down for supper, as I came to know, because I went there a number of times, there was just one thing about them that made these suppers difficult, that the cooking was indescribably bad. And, and when they put food in front of you, it was, it was really difficult, challenging even, to want to eat it. And then I had this, what I thought was a brainwave, sitting in the middle of a table, just slightly out of reach from me, uh, was very strong French mustard. And I said to the man, Peter, could you pass me the mustard? And he looked at me, and it was like he'd seen through me. He said, that's right, old boy. Help yourself to the anesthetic. And, and at that point, he'd absolutely read my mind. And it, it, it's as if when it comes to spiritual things, that's anesthetic over so many of our friends. And it, it's distraction. It, it's busyness or business or it's success or it's riches. Or it could be the opposite. It can be worry and despair. And all these things just camouflage and cloak and disguise and temporarily relieve any thought that there's a spiritual space. But you know there is. And there's a dreadful price, a dreadful price for not knowing Christ, to spend eternity without God's love. But flipping on to the positive again, another motivation for sharing our faith with our friends and people is because God is literally only one prayer away. God is that close. And you and I can't guess 
who it is that God will call into his kingdom. You know, when I read the scriptures, I, I couldn't have guessed that Saul would become a follower of Christ, could you? It doesn't seem very likely that a thief on the cross would become a follower of Christ, does it? But he did. Or the Roman centurion who was at the foot of a cross, but he did. Or Nicodemus that was one of the Sanhedrin, but he did. Or the Samaritan woman who messed up her life, but she did. Or you and me, but we have. And it should encourage us that we just don't know which of the people we bump into or cross our lives with will turn to Christ. I think I told this story before, but I tell it because it illustrates to me how sovereign the Lord is in all of this. That back in the day, um, before I was ordained, I used to work in central London. I got home one day and there was a message on my answer machine from someone that I'll call Fred, not his real name. And it said, um, Rupert, wouldn't it be great if um, we could meet, having not seen each other so many years, uh, why don't we get together for a cup of coffee or tea? Now, this guy leaving a message, Fred, um, was someone I really didn't want to meet. He'd been at school with me, he was a bully, he was a thoroughly nasty piece of work. He'd been chucked out of school um, prematurely because of his behaviour. And of all the people in the world, I really didn't want to meet him. So I ignored that message and about three other messages to the same effect. Until one day, the inevitable happened, and I answered the phone, and I got him live. And it was much more difficult to give him uh, that kind of brush off live. So when he said, why don't you come round for a cup of tea? I said, of course, I'd love to. <laughs> and um, the day came, I drove round to his house, and I was giving myself this lecture. Look, it's, it's at least five, six, seven years since you last met. In that time, you've become a Christian. And, um, you know, I'm sure he's a really nice person. Life will have changed. He'll have changed. You know, get on with it, Rupert. And as I walked into his front door, he said, I've got a great surprise, says Fred. Here's Ian. Well, if Fred was public enemy number one, Ian was public enemy number two. Kind of fellow accomplished in, in uh, appalling just behavior, really. And I, I suppose it was because, well, I don't really know why it was, but I felt a kind of reckless freedom to speak about Jesus. I suppose because I didn't really mind if I saw them again or not. So when they said, well, what are you doing? Has anything significant happened in your life since you were at school? I told them, yeah, yeah, it has. And one of the things significant is I've become a Christian. They said, really? That's interesting. I said, well, if you think it's interesting, why don't you come to Thus and Thus Church Sunday, where actually I'm going to be giving a talk. I thought, that'll see them off, and I'll never see them again. And come that Sunday, there they were in a crowded church. They were sitting in the congregation. And you know, I was about 23 years old, and I'm giving a, a guest talk, an evangelistic talk. And at the end, I say, um, now, if you want to give your life to Christ, you want to invite Christ into your life, come to the front here and kneel here. And about eight people or so came forward, including those two. And I thought, oh, they're taking the mickey. You know, it's taking a bit far, but what can you do? So we treated them like we did everyone else, prayed for them, um, sent them back to their seat. I got a Christmas card from one of them every year for at least the next 10 years, telling me about how their Christian life was growing, about the church they'd now joined, about how their life was changed. They'd become followers of Jesus. You can't guess. I had all sorts of trouble with that. I, I was 
telling God, why do you convert them when there are people I've been praying for so much more faithfully and you, I didn't even want to see him in heaven. And, um, but I, I have repented. And, uh, <laughs> but simply to say, you and I have no idea. You, you in your head might have put someone into the unreachable box, but no one is in the unreachable box. We're literally one prayer away. And there are a couple of other motivations before I um, wrap this thing up. Your flame and my flame will grow dim if you decide to uh, put a sock in it, if you put it under a bed. Jesus said, no one lights a lamp and puts it under the bed. Why not? Because the light will go out. And I think a very strong motivation should be this. It, it, it's, it's not that some people are extrovert and they're prone for this kind of thing. It's not that some people are more courageous and they're prone for this kind of thing either. It, it's that without question, every single one of us who's a follower of Christ in this church today, there are some people who will listen to you because they respect you, they know you, they see integrity in your life, and they will listen to your story in a way they won't listen to anyone else because they respect you, admire you, love you, and can see integrity. In other words, you have a powerful story to tell, and maybe no one else does. For your, could be that your work colleagues, could be your family, could be your children or your grandchildren. And I see this in scripture. You know, Andrew, the disciple Andrew, he, apart from when he's listed in the names of the disciples, I think he's only mentioned three times for doing individual things. But one of those three times was he, these words, it says six words about him, and he brought him to Jesus. And the person he brought to Jesus was Simon Peter. So the world changed. It also says actually about him that he brought some Greeks to Jesus. And they said, sir, we want to see Jesus. And Andrew said, I'll take you. And he brought the boy at the picnic of a feeding of 5,000 to Jesus. Now, we know nothing else about Andrew. Everything suggests that he was a backroom boy, that he was a quiet chap, that he wasn't an extrovert. You don't, it's not whether you're an extrovert or an introvert that counts here. You are who you are, and that's what counts. You know, sometimes I have a stereotype that God only uses a certain type of person for evangelism, but the truth is it's not like that at all. He could use every single one of us. And the truth also is that if you got up close and personal to those people who you think are great evangelists, you'd find they're very ordinary as well. That's how God works. Now, I've given you all sorts of reasons as to why we ought to be sharing our faith. But I haven't actually given you the primary reason. And I didn't know whether to put this first or to keep it to last. I thought if I put this first, that the reaction would be, that's not a very honorable reason. <laughs> it, it really doesn't sound very thrilling. But I think it is the primary reason, and so I'll share it with you. The ultimate reason for daring to share our faith and talking about Jesus is, is not because it's the best news in the world, even though it is. It's not because God's one prayer away, even though he is. It's not because we're uniquely placed to impact some people, although it is. The down-to-earth, unflattering reason is the reason we tell others about Jesus is because it's something we do out of obedience. 
It's what Jesus has told us to do. And the fact that he's told us to do it should be enough. And I, I know that sounds so pedestrian, but the, a lot of a Christian life actually works this way. Most of it, as far as I can see, whether we're talking about giving, whether we're talking about forgiving or praying or reading the Bible or worshiping or preaching or telling others, it's obedience. Because there will be days you just don't feel like praying or reading the Bible or giving or forgiving or preaching. And as someone has said, and in a way it's too snappy a way of saying it because it can almost cloak the truth that's in it, it's much easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. And I'm sure we know that. You know, if you belong to a house group or you host a house group, the chances are that suddenly there's a better offer, you think, initially on a Tuesday night, or you just feel so exhausted. You think, do I have to go or do I have to let these people into my home? We've all been on that territory. And then when you actually do it out of obedience, yes, you realize, no, it was worth it. It is worth it. And the same with our quiet time, the same with praying. And I'm afraid to say the same with telling others about Jesus. Because everything I said at the beginning is true. There is a cost. There is a risk of rejection. It's never all that easy. But when it does bear fruit, it puts all those downsides into the shade. Let's pray together. The point of this talk is not to bash us over the head. The point is to remind us that Jesus is the best news in the world and we have to share him. And that he honours, we shall see time and again when we think next week about how we prepare and the Holy Spirit's place, he honours the gospel. He dwells in the gospel. People come to faith through Jesus Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we ask you to forgive us for the time so we let those chances go by to talk about you. We pray, Lord, for more opportunities. We pray, Lord, that as we pray for opportunities, you'd open our eyes for the opportunities that come. We pray that for this week, opportunities to talk about you and what you mean in our lives. And we pray that as a church, we'll be a place where it's easy to connect with you, Jesus. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.